we gotta lead him with something really epic for the new year. I think I think we just let in the new just year like that. with that. <laughs> and welcome to Freightonomics, everybody. Hopefully, everybody has had a wonderful start uh, to 2023. I am Zach Strickland, head of freight market intelligence here at Freightways, along with my counterpart, Anthony Smith, chief economist at Freightways. And Anthony, I don't know about you, but my year started off with about the same energy that it ended with. I don't know what it is around like the December, January timeframe, but the last two years have been just a little bit crazy for me. So okay. last year, COVID had that case happen to me. And then this year, apartment flooded okay. right around the same time frame. So it's always eventful right at the end of the year, beginning of the year for me. So, but we're yeah. doing good. Yeah, no. And it's obviously the end of year, beginning of year transition for companies mm-hmm. uh, tends to be a little bit of a lull. Uh, you know, you kind of have all this flurry of activity at the end of the year and not necessarily in aggregate where it shows up as like, oh, we've had tons of volume, but like there's a lot of frenzied activity. Yeah. You know, you're trying to close the books, trying to get that fiscal year revenue as as deep as you can get it to finish out the year. And then ah, you just yeah. kind of you just kind of take a deep breath. And that's sort of what the economy feels like it's doing in general right now. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I mean, especially when I think you hit the nail right on the head and we we're especially looking at manufacturing. So mm-hmm. um, we look at the ISM. I don't want to get ahead of myself to the econ segment here, but the ISM PMI, I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit later on, but it fell for the second consecutive mm-hmm. month here. And one of the big things that a lot of uh, respondents were saying that there's a lot of just waiting and holding off on capital expenditures. We already saw already saw manufacturing easing throughout the most of uh, the latter half of 2022. But now we're really starting to see a lot more, like you said, that lull of just Mm -hmm. like, you know, let's just hold off for now and just wait and see how things pan out. Because there's this air of like expectation that, yeah, this is going to be a really, you know, rough start. There's going to be, you know, a mild recession. That's what a lot of folks are saying. Um, I'm of the thought that maybe there's a chance that it won't be so mild. But there's just all this expectation that, that there is going to be one. So a lot of people are just like, you know what, let's just wait and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. And, and, the, and of course, it feels like we're just trying to find the bottom at this point uh, in terms of, you know, everybody knows that the economy's slowing. Inflation, still here. <laughs> uh, but what does that mean in the long run? Where are we going to see that consumer demand really kind of erode to the point where it's like, all right, we're, we're actually not going to buy things anymore because uh, they're still spending money um at price of eggs <laughs> talked about this morning on uh, on freightways now I'm over five dollars but that's that's a temporary spike uh hopefully but bird flu now it's the i guess it's the chicken's turn to go through their own pandemic that we already went through this different types of avian flus and whatnot but you're yeah. saying that egg prices are just like dude it's real bread it's just real eggs, eggs for real bread. Nah, it's all right. Yeah, it's good anyway, Calm down. Anyway, let's uh, <laughs> let's get everything started with a market in two, Anthony. Let's give that freight yes. market overview that we do here because there's a lot. This is going to set the table for a lot of our discussion on the show. So let's go ahead. You want to count me in? Let's we'll do go. it in three, two, one, go. All right. First up, we have the NTIL. So the spot rates. This is the this is the number that gets all the press. Everybody's interested in what are spot rates doing. It tells you the market rate uh, that trucks are moving for drive and freight, excluding the estimated cost of fuel in this chart specifically, because we don't want to noise up our figure with the erratic oil freight or oil market movements. Uh, you can see there was a noticeable bump around the holidays, a little bit more than we expected. Uh, a lot of it turns out 
direct to spot market freight. So you have this stuff that does, it's a regular freight moving outside of contract, never hits the contract market because service, et cetera. We saw it a little bit around Thanksgiving, but it really showed up around Christmas. However, we are now in contraction. You can see this happens every single year. It goes up around Christmas and then it comes back down because capacity erodes. Let's go to the next chart and look at OTRI. So OTRI, outbound tender rejection index, looks a lot different than that NTIL. You can see the white line there is our current 12-month cycle. Uh, barely moved off the bottom there uh, around the holidays. And in 2019, that orange line, huge jump, big spikes almost every single year around the holidays, but not in 2022. Uh, let's go to the next chart. This somewhat helps explain it, but not really. OTVI tells us the demand. Now, the big takeaway here. So we saw that the contract market was like, meh around Christmas. The spot market did have a little bit of activity, but it was still 20 to 30% lower than year over year. So we've had significant erosion, and a lot of that has to do with demand dropping significantly. And you can see that trend line on that white line continues to be downward trajectory here over the last several months, since about September. And a big takeaway here though, if you can see on the far, far right, is that we're, we're actually above 2019 still, and it looks like we might have found a little bit of stabilization. Boom. <laughs> so, Zach, I mean, you're, we're talking, of course, it's what we have to talk about at mm -hmm. the beginning of the year. It's just, okay, how is the year ending up? What are your year-over-year -year results looking like? Mm -hmm. But there's been a lot of comparison, of course, throughout this past few months to 2019. Uh, what are you seeing right now that is just like, if you say from your perspective, like, hey, this rhymes or this is the same thing or in a comparison of just the whole scenario. Like, I'm, I'm going to be honest, that, that we, we looked like we were just going to fall right through 2019, <laughs> uh, looking at OTVI there. And I was really shocked today to wake up and see that OTVI figure really about on par with mid-December. We normally see some recovery coming out of that trough. You see those troughs there at the end of the year. Those are Christmas because it's right. a seven-day moving average. So we have not only Christmas, but New Year's Day <laughs> volumes that really fall off. This is the deepest uh, trough for freight volumes all year. And it's because it's the most vacation time of year. And we have two significant holidays back-to-back. Uh, -back. But if you see there, that recovery, uh, that green number there coming out of that trough is a lot stronger than I would have anticipated. Mm -hmm. uh, and this time will tell. Uh, this is not anything that I'm going to draw like, oh, wait, maybe we found the floor at the beginning of the year. But everything is something, right. but something isn't everything. So I'm going <laughs> to wait and see with this one, uh, because that OTVI value being that far above 2019 at this point is very shocking. Because that yeah. tells me that shippers came out uh, into the new year moving goods. Like they're still moving freight. You get on the interstate, there's still plenty of trucks. Yeah, I mean, I, I know man, earlier I mentioned about, uh, you know, manufacturing really starting to slow down and new orders to component is also slowing down. Even though it is in contraction, doesn't mean for, you know, backlogs and stuff like that, doesn't mean that there's still not backlogs being worked through. There's right. still a significant amount. They're contracting, they're coming down, but there's still an amount of, of backlogs being hauled uh, or being worked through mm -hmm. for manufacturing upstream. I can only imagine that's not just for manufacturing, but really with some of the um, consumer goods as well. Yeah, and, and repositioning. Yeah. Like you've got inventory in place, but maybe that warehouse was cluttered and you need to move it somewhere else. So it's not as 
it's just not a straightforward environment right now. We still have a lot of noise, it looks like, to work through before we find that bottom. Uh, you know, and we've got some good stories around this. Uh, I feel like, oh, I picked out a lot of like <laughs> news articles that were really informative, not necessarily like breaking news mm -hmm. this week, because I found there were some good articles. If we go into the newsonomics section here, uh, these were more about like, here's some knowledge for your life. Yeah. If you remember that John Tesh, uh, you probably don't. I don't know who that I'm is. I'm a little old. Uh, but they, there, was a, there was an old like radio show that basically it was like random facts. Mm. And it was the easy listening station, which I didn't like that. But <laughs> every now and again, as you're scrolling through the radio dial back in the day when you did that. <laughs> was this on AM? No, it was on FM. But it was, uh, I didn't, at least in, not that old, but they, yeah, I, I found this show and these articles reminded me of that. It was basically like, here's some fun facts to start your year. Yeah. Uh, so let's get it start. Uh, first one here, um, John Kingston, I believe, covered this one. I highly, this is a highly recommended read on FreightWaves.com. A book by Cornell professor takes skeptical look at ELD's surveillance. Um, and basically, the, the article covers uh, Karen Levy, associate professor in the Department of Information Services at Cornell University. Information Services. Uh, uh, and she is taking a look about how ELDs are impacting safety. And the conclusion is they are not. <laughs> and this goes back to kind of an overriding theme you and I have in our discussions is that regulations sometimes don't solve the problem they're put in place to solve. Well, 100%. And before I jump into this one, uh, real quick, if you see me looking down, just like last year, only being a little bit rude, we're live on LinkedIn right now at the time of this recording. It's Tuesday at 2-something Eastern Standard Time. A little different. <laughs> a little different. Might not be permanent. We'll see how it works and flows here. But if you want to join in on the conversation, especially with this topic, you can jump in on the chat and be a part of the show. But Zach, when we're talking about this, it's like you said, does the policy actually do anything? And in this now, frame. Yeah, and, and of course, we've got to get real for a second. ELDs are marketed as a safety tool. Yeah. But the real underlying use case for these is really a lot about uh, just this monitoring <laughs> uh, component. And where are they? What are they doing? It also favors large fleets that have these capital expenditures, which large fleets have the lobbying. <laughs> right. We, let's be honest with ourselves, uh, and that helps control capacity, especially in your owner-operator and your small fleet segment. So ELDs, of course, marketed as a safety tool, and this, uh, I love it because it's data-driven, mm -hmm. and she is purely objective in this. Um, she is not there as an advocate for one side or the other. She was just looking into the data itself, which, of course, we are a big advocate of here on Freightonomics. So, uh, and she goes on basically to say, yeah, there's no real connection. Actually, it looks like uh, the data we have done so far doesn't seem to suggest that it's done too much to help with safety. Um, full year truck death data for 2021 was the highest in several years. Now, of course, COVID, pandemic, high volumes, et cetera. Uh, but, it, you know, it goes to show that, you know, they're trying to solve this issue of uh, drivers being tired and she says the, the root causes that you're trying to fix are fatigue 
ELD alone is not solving that. We should look for other ways to solve for fatigue, such as detention, um, which is a huge issue uh, that she points out. Yeah, and and uh, one of the big things that I, of course, learned about the industry when I first got involved from the, the great Dean Croak was around how much sleep means to a driver. Yeah, oh, and, Dean was obviously the sleep expert. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's such a huge factor. Mm-hmm. And so there's all these other things that we need to be you know, mm-hmm. focusing on and helping out with drivers that really aren't being addressed right now. Um, one of the big things, of course, and just at the, the heart of policy being made in general, um, we see how really crucial some policy is and really how some of it isn't when times of emergencies, distress, anything like that, and they just get waived when the hours of service gets waived. It's like, hey, you know what? This is an emergency. Do what you got to do. Yeah. And, you know, like, wait, isn't this unsafe? It's just like, all right, pick a a, a stance (laughs) here. And this is going to be one, like you said, you know, is definitely going to be levied a little bit closer by the... uh, the larger fleets um, could be a barrier of entry for some to say, hey, you have to do this, this, and this in order to even play or be eligible to participate. And mm-hmm. I think this is definitely a conversation that needs to happen around, oh, is 100%. this really a safety measure? 100%, especially when you're talking about safety. Come on, people. Um, let's let's don't let's let's get it right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, especially, I love the point you said about the, uh, you know, when they're waving <laughs> HOS requirements, it's like all of a sudden it's okay to be tired, yeah. you know, and, and unsafe. Like that, you gotta pick one. All right, uh, next article here, of course, my article, uh, Chart of the Week this week. I had to pull it out because it apparently got lots of traction. Not normally, I'm not, I don't get some sort of weird ego boost from it. <laughs> uh, but it is, it is part of what I was talking about earlier. Um, tender acceptance at all time high level for the holidays. That's the inverse of tender rejection. So if we pull up OTRI uh, from my market update here, uh, the OTRI, there it is right there. Let's uh, let's pull that one up. You can see that white line. Over the past four years, the softest year we've ever had since tender data came out for us uh, was 2019 and the orange line. And we topped out at 14.5%. We didn't get over 6% during Christmas. Uh, This is nothing to sneeze at. And the point of my article was simply, uh, if you are a shipper, (laughs) don't think this is going to be the way things are. (laughs) You are literally having the perfect storm of eroding consumer demand, over inventory, and carrier capacity growth, (laughs) all happening simultaneously (laughs) at the exact moment of the holidays. So if, if you were going to think about this moving forward, this is as good as it's going to get for you in terms of contract compliance. Also, contract rates are still relative, relatively high compared to spot rates. And so that was going to be my question around that, Zach. I mean, we're seeing all these factors right here. Mm-hmm. What, are we going to start to see contract rates really start to come down? Or we're always talking about, you know, hey, renegotiations are going to start coming around. These bids going to... So are we, do you think that we're going to start to see some more downward pressure here? Or is this something that you think is going to be a little bit fleeting? Oh, w- without a doubt. And, and probably on next week's Freightonomics, <laughs> I will have a chart that shows the relationship between contract and spot. I don't expect contract rates to really show a strong downward movement until we get about, you know, somewhere in the middle of January. <laughs> uh, and that'll be end of January, early February, before we really see that because the contract rate data is reported on a 14-day lag. Um, but I think that's when we start to see those implementations start to come to fruition. Because uh, normally, bid season, 
third, fourth quarter for first quarter implementation. And so that's where I think we're going to see some significant downward pressure. We're still sitting around, I think it's like a 30 to 40% spread between contract and spot right now, with right. spot being 30 to 40% lower. Um, and they, it can't persist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's, it's, it's strange because we're, right now we're looking at what can't keep going on, what's you know not going to be a trend that's really long lasting. And also, recent movements, how sustainable are they? So mm-hmm. we're seeing some of the upward movement as we see in volumes really starting to kind of pick up ever so slightly. Is it sustainable? We're also starting to see some, uh, you know, down movements other places. Is this going to be something that's going to be telling of like, hey, mm-hmm. this is going to come to an end here? Um, the other big article that uh, you have out here is, of course, from our very own Todd Maiden mm-hmm. around how changes in supply chain finance disclosure could impact shippers. Now, this is a little off track of what we were discussing here with the overall freight market, but that is, I think this is an extremely, I don't want to spend a ton of time on it here, but I think it's extremely valuable for those involved in, you know, factoring and the financial side of the, you know, freight. Um, they're doing, they're changing the regulations to where the buyer basically, is. so supply chain financing in a nutshell is where uh, a company offers a service, in this instance, freight, <laughs> uh, they want to get paid sooner. So the bank pays them the full amount uh, or a discounted amount, I'm sorry, of the invoice uh, level mm-hmm. so that they can get their cash sooner rather than wait the 14 to 45 or 60 days that it takes for them to get paid. So they get their money sooner, but at a discount. Then at some point in time in the future, the person that got the ser- the company that got the service pays the bank the full amount, and the bank makes money off of that. And in an accounting practice, they don't have to report this. It just looks like accounts receivable, accounts payable. That's it. Now they're saying that they're going to have to show how much of that uh, finance uh, financed is in play because that it's a cash flow play um, for companies that are in there. And that's the fact that interest rates are going up. It's, it's making that spread a lot wider. So now that discount becomes a lot greater, which means you're going to see these companies in the long run have potential cash flow issues that are using this mechanism. They've gotten addicted to a 1%, you know, or a small interest rate, uh, which probably was around a 4 to 5% discount at some point. Uh, that's expanding, and they can't potentially, that's going to cost a lot more money here uh, already in the last eight months. And so, I mean... Is this going to be, this is definitely something that's more prevalent with larger operations or does this really hit Actually, it's, small as well? It's more detrimental to the smaller operations mm. uh, because they need cash to finance their operations. So the large, yes, they do it. But the smaller operations, um, they don't have the cash to operate, need this type of functionality. Uh, especially when you're talking about fuel prices. <laughs> yeah. we heard, we've talked about it a lot. Fuel is expensive, and if fuel prices go up quickly, right. you, you're waiting 30 days to get paid. You may not be able to afford to drive your truck to the next stop. Right. So this is going to squeeze out more carriers faster. This is just one of those unforeseen things that I wanted to call out. But definitely read that article by Todd Maiden. How changes in supply chain finance disclosure could impact shippers, but it impacts carriers uh, as well. Um, so real quick, uh, Greg Miller writes an article, coast is almost clear as port congestion fades even further. 
just the, the numbers in this article alone are worth your time. Just go in there and see how quickly the weights, uh, the ships in queue have diminished from the ports of Los Angeles, Long Beach now, which I think has not really been that big of an issue of late. But Savannah, New York, New Jersey, uh, basically have no queues anymore. <laughs> Uh, so everything that's coming in is an operational distra- distraction at this point. Rates going to East and West Coast all the way back. And this includes oil. <laughs> oil prices being up significantly all the way back to where they were before the pandemic. And so, I mean, this, this is going to be a kind of, the, it's almost like this fits into the theme of what we've been talking about, I mean, for, for quite some time. And looks like we have another one from mm-hmm. our uh, very own Todd Maiden around. Analysts make a divergent calls on trucking in 2023. Yeah. Um, especially, he, I think he outlines Morgan Stanley in this one, um, seeing signs of bottoming, bottoming and raises their outlook as well. Yeah, so uh, he was a little optimistic. Uh, Ravi Shankar uh, said that he sees uh, some positive comps. Now, you have to look at financial reporting through the eyes of EPS, earnings Mm -hmm. per share. uh, As the market devalues the stock, that elevates the earnings per share, potentially. Um, it's, It's a the market kind of changes their outlook. So when they're looking into the future, they're looking at the stock price, um, as well as, you know, some uh, year-over-year comp values because their horizons are about deltas and changes, not necessarily absolute values. Uh, he turns optimistic in the second half because of inventory. We talked about this earlier. Inventories look like they're bottoming. A few of his indexes that he has pointing out, that he points to in this article uh, have turned yellow instead of red. <laughs> but he did go on at the end of the article to point out that the macroeconomic uh, situation could potentially keep that, push that timeline out further if consumer demand erodes further. Yeah, and I think the, the interesting thing with inventories is, of course, um, we want to draw that down, get a little bit more space in warehouses, get more functional with it. Um, but then I start thinking about at a global level and all these kind of like really macro, macro things. So like, of course, with China reopening, mm-hmm. um, what kind of demand is going to come out of China? Um, from their consumers, they've been, yeah. you know, in lockdown for so long. Are they going? Are they going to have a heightened amount of consumer demand um, once they're able to kind of really get up and running? Is that going to be a thing? Now that we start to see demand um, start to ease and you know inventory start to come down, do we go too far where now inventories are too low and <laughs> say, hey, you know what, we're going to hold off. We don't want to have a repeat. And this is kind of from that uh, segment we had with uh, Bill Priestley earlier this mm-hmm. morning. Um, w- what kind of potential overcorrection could there be, you know? And so it's good to see that these inventory levels are coming down back to, you know, earth here. But also, are we going to be a little bit too hesitant to rebuilding inventories or really kind of get back to that um, just in time, uh, time frame? Here? Yeah. And then, of course, the other analyst in here, Basco Majors, uh, goes from positive sentiment to neutral. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's basically said he's going to sit on the sidelines now. Uh, he doesn't see, he says, a hard-to-stomach first-half 23 fundamental cocktail of a lingering volume air pocket, a rollover in contract pricing, and incremental year-over-year pressure from equipment gains. Basically, negative year-over-year comps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's, that's kind of the point. Is like We always have to decide our perspective here. They're looking at it from a pure 12-month cycle. Their time horizons are investment-oriented. Right. Uh, hedge fund manager centric. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so yes, first half fundamentals look absolutely dreadful. Yeah. Um, you're talking about demand that's already eroded. No, no reason to think that things are going to be stimulated in the first quarter, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, especially looking at the consumer side, big thing that always has been propping up any kind of overall demand was consumer. They had mm -hmm. stimulus packages, um, increased wages, then inflation started to kick in quite a bit, and it's still here. Um, one of the big things is, of course, the savings rate. Now, that is now at levels that we haven't seen in over a decade. Um, credit card utilization continues to climb. We saw that latest mm -hmm. numbers showed that there was further increase in credit card utilization, more consumers leaning on it. Then, of course, there's that ever-growing black hole that is buy now, pay later that we've kind of been talking about for quite some Which time. Which also inflates their exposure to inflation. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. the interest rates are increasing because the Fed's increasing the interest rate. <laughs> 100%. And now we're seeing, okay, this, I think the next uh, couple of CPI and PPI reports are going to be so critical yeah. because if we don't see that hampering down in inflation in a meaningful way, this is going to just be more fuel for Jerome Powell and, and the gang to continue to go on their interest rate increases. And of course, seemingly strength in the employment market, unemployment rate 3.5%, jobless claims at low 200,000s, job openings over 10.4, I think it's at 10.5 million. So I'm not confident in the job market, but these results will seemingly be more inflationary um, fight from Jerome Powell with interest rates going And of on. course, both analysts looking positive for the first half of 2024. So 12 months. <laughs> for the anyway, thanks so much. Uh, hopefully they're not wrong. Drink water. <laughs> Have a great week. <laughs>